Hey, folks, mortgage rates have dipped to their lowest levels in recent history. And with home values up in many areas, now may be the perfect time to refinance your home. Whether you're looking to lower your monthly payments, free up cash for home improvements, or just pay off your home faster, a quick call to the one and only Stuart Wingo of Ameris Bank could save you money. If you're looking for competitive rates and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo, 803-319-1777. That's 803-319-1777. You will save money just like I have so many times over the years. You can also visit him, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Stuart Wingo, the man with the plan for all your mortgage needs. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Welcome, everybody. Welcome all to the J.C. and Morgan College Football Ball. That is the podcast uh, number 145. 145, J.C. I bet you that number snuck up on you like it snuck up on me. Absolutely, Mike. It's uh Gosh, seems like we just started yesterday, and to get to 145, that's quite a milestone. That means 150, 100, 200, 175 is right around the corner. There's really no limit. There's, you know, the over/under in Vegas was that we we do about 13, and then we'd uh, we'd wrap it up uh, and and call it a day because anybody with, um, you know, a, a microphone now can can launch a podcast, but. Uh, thankfully, it's been worthwhile for us. I, obviously, we enjoy doing it, and the following has continued to grow. So I, I know I say this ad nauseum, but thank you to everybody out there that uh, donates uh, an hour to an hour and 20 minutes of your week uh, for us, because I know there's a lot of traffic out there in this space, this college football arena, and hopefully we can bring some uh, fresh perspective to it. Uh, JC, of course, from 24-7 Sports. Uh, and I, uh, I'm still doing the, the TV thing at ESPN and, uh, SEC never kind of fun one last Friday night on ESPN, a, a little ACC Friday night magic between Virginia and wake. And first off, that game is always fun to do because it's, it's an isolated window. There's nothing else going on. So it always draws a big number. I mean, we were in the neighborhood, I think of 2 million, uh, viewers for that game not the game I thought it would be honestly um I knew Wake Forest was going to score I didn't think their defense was going to be able to shut down Virginia the way they did and and Brendan Armstrong of Virginia if you haven't seen him he's got juice like that kid's got an NFL arm and maybe perhaps NFL talent but uh they've been a little bit of a disappointment this year under Bronco and Wake Forest just continues to amaze people like how in this world of four and five star recruits does a Wake Forest go four and zero? If they beat Louisville Saturday, they're five and zero, and we're getting to the point now where there's going to be a very limited amount of of undefeated teams left in uh, in college football. So, it, you know, the, that that's the the kind of thing that leads me to my over arching thought of the season thus far, uh, you know, kind of the, the quarterly report, if you will, because most teams have played four games. I realize some have had a buy. Uh, this is the year of chaos. And, and I know that term is used a lot. It's kind of overused as, as I always like to, uh, 
kind of make fun of JC, the, the, the people that just regurgitate a cliche and they really don't give any thought to it, but they just say something like, there's never been this much parody in college football. I love it. How can the world could you say that? We've had the same five teams competing for the playoff since the damn thing launched seven, eight years ago. Uh, but where we are now with Clemson out, with Ohio State not looking good, with Oklahoma not looking particularly good, uh, not to mention uh, clamoring for their backup quarterback because their Heisman Trophy candidate has not played that well. Um, with, with, with some teams that we've talked about before but can never seem to get over the hump, Michigan undefeated, Baylor undefeated. There's some interesting things going on this year. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you the most common thing that coaches have told me, doesn't matter what the school, what the conference, the most common thing I've heard from coaches is, Mike, I'm telling you, COVID has changed the landscape, at least for 2021. Now, this might all fade out in 2022 and things return to the cabal and and everything. Order is kind of restored, right? But for this year, you know, I mentioned Wake Forest. They are loaded with fifth, sixth, and even seventh-year seniors. And all these teams that got that extra year for COVID, that has promoted more parity than we're used to. Uh, and, and what it, it almost becomes, again, the Alabama and Georgia, and we'll talk about them. They're in another class. But, but what it almost comes down to, and I could equate it to, is in college basketball, the teams with the most McDonald's All-American, McDonald's All-Americans don't necessarily dominate the landscape. They're not always in the final four. Very often they're losing to the teams that are loaded with juniors and seniors, the so-called old teams. And because of COVID, there are more older teams now than ever. And, and so there's definitely in tier two, and I don't think there's much of tier one besides Alabama, Georgia and tier two, this is the most type of equity and parity that I think we've had in quite some time. So if you like chaos and you like unpredictability and you like upsets, which I think is a big part of the appeal of college football, I do think we're going to see more of that going forward in 2021. I agree with you. And, um, you know, and the older player thing's interesting. I, I think that also, you know, when you look at like structurally how the game was sort of played last year in a COVID year, no crowds, some places absolutely no crowds. Crowds definitely benefit the defense. The defenses didn't have spring practice. They just kind of went out. The offenses were way ahead. Um, it resembled the Big 12 just about all over the country. Uh, and this year, I think it's pretty clear, you know, whether that's teams that were supposed to be good on offense aren't anymore, or whether these defensive guys for having a whole offseason and having home field advantage and stuff like that are just now back to playing normal. Um, you know, it, we're not seeing the track meets that we once did. I mean, or, or we did last season. Now, that said, Alabama's playing Ole Miss this weekend, so we may see uh, 110 combined points and 1,000 yards of offense. Nothing against those two defenses. But, um, yeah, it's been interesting. You know, even Oklahoma now, – now I'll say this, under Neil Brown, West Virginia 
you know, about every third game will play an unbelievable defensive game. Uh, I think they kind of did it in Texas last year down in Austin and lost and lost Oklahoma this weekend. But, you know, West Virginia is actually playing defense now under Brown, unlike they did under Holgerson or most of the other coaches they've ever had. But, um, you know, Oklahoma's struggling to score, you know, against teams. So, and that wasn't expected. So, I, I, you know, and don't get me started. Clemson's 121st in the country in total offense. You know, these guys have been, in the, you know, up near the top for about seven years now uh, and, and moving the ball up and down the field, you know, and, and they're not just struggling against the Georgias of the world, struggling against Georgia Tech, struggled against NC State. I mean, they got Boston College this weekend. Uh, it's interesting. You know, and, and 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 you're right, Mike. You know, I've, I've had many basketball coaches tell me older teams win in the postseason. We always hear college football is one big postseason. Um, every game counts. That's what that's what everybody says. You know, we all love the regular season, and, and I think that does benefit teams like Wake Forest. You know, Dave Clawson. Uh, it's interested interesting because that program he sort of adopted the same philosophy Jim Grobe did when he was there, and Jim Grobe won the ACC championship at Wake Forest in 06, I think. That's right. That's right. Um, and, and their philosophy was, come hell or high water, we're red-shirting everybody. Um, and they recruit a lot of kids from around the Carolinas. Uh, that's a place where you can find under-the-radar talent. They recruit Virginia. They always find a quarterback. Um, and, and, and I think their oldness, because they weren't terrible last year in the games I saw them, uh, it's been kind of brewing for a while. And then this is the team, you know, because you got everybody back and they're all like 20, they're grown men and out there playing against guys that are, you know, still 18, 19, sometimes 17 years old. Uh, and in football, that that four or five years really matters. It's a developmental sport because you develop physically. Um, and, and so I, I think you're right. It, it's very, it's been a fascinating year so far. Uh, you know, the, the chaos thing. Um, this may be my the most chaotic year I think since 07. That's well, the year I was thinking with a two loss. I mean, South Florida was ranked number two at that point. I right. mentioned West Virginia earlier, uh, and Rich Rodriguez. Which, by the way, uh, I wish Rhett Rodriguez, Rich's son, uh, Louisiana Monroe quarterback, the best. He he had to be hospitalized after having a lung injury in their win over mm. Troy, mm. Um, but they won. But uh, Rich Rod, you know, had that team. They ended up losing to Pitt at the end. USF eventually fell off. Uh, and, you know, we ended up with a two-loss LSU that lost two overtime games to Kentucky and Arkansas, playing an Ohio State team that was, you know, the OSU, Oklahoma State and Ohio State during the 2000s, they were kind of the perennial bridesmaids, if you will, with the exception of 2000 and 2004. But they played for a lot of titles. They'd normally lose. Uh, and winning by two touchdowns, Les Miles won a national championship that that year. So, you know, and then the next year, of course, we had the Florida dynasty, mini dynasty, and then Alabama started more in the midst of the still the great. You know, you still, you know, we, we talk about this, Mike, but still, who's sitting up there? Alabama, and I don't know how many times I've made this point on the podcast, and, and it, it may not hold this way because, as you say, order may be restored, but. There's one team that I think can real or one program that can realistically expect to be up there every single year. And even a few years ago, 
Uh, they didn't even win their division and went to the Citrus Bowl. I think, what was that, 2019? They were in the Citrus Bowl? Um, is Alabama. I mean, you know, you just – Nick Saban was on the Manning broadcast of Monday Night Football the other night, which, by the way, is excellent. <laughs> and um, he, he just happened to throw out, we have 73 players in the NFL. That's unbelievable. Um, and they're going to keep sending more. And so yeah. – I, I, I think when you see Ohio State slip a little and you see Clemson slip a little and, and you see Oklahoma, this is supposed to be their year, all of a sudden they're struggling to score. Um, you understand that, yeah, there are haves and have-nots and there are teams that have gone to a lot of playoffs besides Alabama. But there's really one team and one program that can realistically expect to be up um, – every single season in this sport. And that's, that's Bama. That's why I think we'll look back on this when it's all over and say, that was the greatest dynasty in the history this, that we are in the midst of UCLA basketball in the sixties and seventies. Oh, there's um, no question. You know, and UCLA won a bunch in a row. It's harder to do that in football because one loss can put you out or whatever. It's not tournament. But um, I, I, I think that's what we're living through right now. Uh, when you're talking about what Nick Saban has at Bama and uh, and then everybody else, because everybody else, you know, has that chance of slipping a little. Uh, Alabama yeah, I, really doesn't. I wonder if, and, and of course they've got a big one against Arkansas, and then they still have a big one against Florida. But is Georgia are they truly primed to be you know one B? And that's what Kirby has been striving for for a long time. And for the most part, he's dominated the East. And for the most part, when you look at their roster, there's a lot of parallels between their roster and Alabama's. Like they're getting four and five stars all over the place. You say they had a down year last year. Um, Well, they didn't really have a quarterback for much of that year. And so they lost to Florida, but I mean, they they still go and and win their bowl game in Atlanta and, and beat a good Cincinnati team. It wasn't like it was a disaster. And I, I mean, I still I'm not backing off. Although I do think Jacksonville's going to be closer. Um, Florida is showing me something that Emory Jones specifically is showing me something that I wasn't sure was there. Uh, he wasn't even the most popular quarterback on the depth chart, but because of the injury to the number two slash one B it's been all Emory and he's been phenomenal. We'll see how he and they do against Kentucky. We'll see how Georgia does against Arkansas. But uh, to me right now, you you remember I used to say we're, it it is an Alabama Clemson world and we're all just living in it. You know, when Dabble really had it going and the two national titles and then the playoff every year. Well, I think now we're for this season, and maybe moving forward, we'll see. But for, for 2021, it's an Alabama-Georgia world, and we're just living in it. Now, I could be wrong. Uh, Ole Miss could upset Alabama Saturday. Arkansas could upset Georgia Saturday. Florida could beat Georgia. Uh, I do not see anybody else beating Alabama, and I don't see Ole Miss being beating Alabama. But uh, – but I, I think it is those two teams are just on a different level this season. But what's interesting is that three through 10, 10 through 20, 20 through 30, 30 through 40, there ain't a hell of a lot of difference. I mean, it, it, that's why I really think as many upsets as we've already had, I think we're going to see a lot more. And when I say upset, I, I mean, you know, 
a Vegas point spread, uh, a ranked team versus an unranked team, uh, a team that we thought was was just a you know a, a shoe in to be a conference champion is not. We've already seen obviously some of that, but I think there's more on the horizon. I just think this is that year, and you you hit the right year. I was going to bring up 2007. This has a 2007 feel to it. Uh, And again, so much of 2020 paved the way for the chaos that I think we're going to see in 2021. Um, What game stood out to you on Saturday? What, uh, on a national perspective, I think the the biggest one for me is what Arkansas did. I, I, Sam Pittman, I, I don't know if we can quantify how good a job he's done. Now, he's become a media darling. He's an extreme, extremely likable guy. But I don't, I don't think you can overstate. They lost 20 straight conference games. They were a dumpster fire. Then they, conti- then they get the, the worst schedule known to mankind last year. In a conference-only slate, Arkansas, they just they just lower the – and they figure, oh, yeah, it's Arkansas. And they, they, you know, they were good last year. I get it. They, they were three and seven, should have been four and six. How good is that? Considering the schedule and what they came off of, it was damn good. And now this year, to beat Texas and Texas A&M in the state of Texas, uh, I just – this is one of the best coaching jobs and turnarounds we've seen in our lifetime so far. Sure. And, I, and I've always been a fan of the hire. You know, a lot of fans get caught up nowadays with big numbers with a coordinator or whatever. Even they don't even like hiring defensive coordinators. But if you look around college football and you see some things that have worked, a lot of these guys that are really good at head coaching were never really coordinators, you know. And, and I think uh, Sam Pittman is an example of what my friend Josh Pate, a little plug for him on the late kick on 24-7 Sports yeah. said. We'll, we'll get him back on. Yeah. He's, he's blown up here uh, of late, thanks he in large happy. part to his agent, J.C. Sherbert. One of the hardest working guys <laughs> out there, right? And um, Yeah. But he, he made a point uh, that was interesting. And this was after Arkansas beat Texas. He's like, you know, there's a lot of these X's and O's guys out there that, that are head coaches now that are struggling. Um, they were great as coordinators. He's like, and then you look at Sam Pittman. He said, there's no substitute uh, for culture and belief. And Sam Pittman, you know, sometimes, Mike, the guy that wants the job needs to get the job. Uh, Sam Pittman, for years, was the best offensive line coach in the country. You asked me, JC, you know, somebody calls me up. Who's the best offensive line coach in the country? It was Sam Pittman when he was in North Carolina. It was Sam Pittman when he was at Tennessee. It was Sam Pittman was he was in Arkansas, and it was Sam Pittman when he was at Georgia. The guy I've seen the guy go from UNC, <clears throat> North Carolina, <clears throat> with you know a six and six or eight and four record to sell, go into the state of Indiana and find a five. I mean, and, and land a five star talent at, at tackle. I saw him beat Alabama on a four star guy uh, offensive tackle from St. Louis when he was the O line coach under Belima at Arkansas. I saw him go into Hawaii and get a really good player to come to Fayetteville, Arkansas, and play for him. Uh, Same with Frank Ragnow, who's in the NFL now. He was from Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Guys that can do that and then coach them up at an elite level, to me, are elite coaches because you can recruit and you can coach your position. Uh, Very valuable guys. And then at Georgia, don't get me started on the talent he stocked there. 
and where they were from in mean, Brooklyn, New York, et cetera. So when he got the job, I was like, well, this is a, this is a hire that's not going to excite anybody because nobody wants to go on paper, no fans sitting there going, man, I hope we hire the line coach because offensive line coaches are awesome. <laughs> you know, it's hard for those guys to break in, right? I'm trying to think of an O-line coach that was a, that turned out to be a splash hire. Uh, Matt Luke, Brett Bielema, none of these guys. Bielema, Bielema was a D-line coach, too. That's right. So he, I'm sorry. I, yeah, but, but the D-line coaches don't get it. Ed Orgeron, I guess, was a D-line coach. But O-line, O-line. O-line coach. Weird. I mean – it's I a mean, it's a small small a pool sample size of uh, uh, Sean Elliott at Georgia State. By the way, congratulations on getting screwed at Auburn last weekend. But uh, <laughs> they almost had another big upset. Almost. But uh, he was all offensive line coach. But the point is, power five jobs. Nobody's sitting there going, "Man, let's go hire our offensive line coach." Right? And no. so, but, and, and so that, that hire was. Yeah, you know, Arkansas fans were like, huh, you know what? It was the most non-plus hire of the cycle by far. Yeah, because absolute, there was no but. It was clearly not their first choice, but that's there's no sin in that. That's usually the way these things roll. No, I, th- uh, I think they went after Lane Kiffin pretty hard. They, uh, yeah, they went after multiple guys. He Monty wasn't even Kiffin, their third choice. Monty Kiffin used to coach at Arkansas. I mean, Lane had ties there. I thought that's where he would go. But I think he made a good choice, and we'll get him in a second. But, yeah, the other SEC hires that year were Kiffin to Ole Miss, Leach to Mississippi State, and Eli Drinkwitz to Missouri. Um, you know, Pittman out of those guys, he doesn't have a big track record. He doesn't, He's not the, the quippy guy like, uh, like Leach is. Uh, he doesn't have the, the, the mystique that Kiffin does. And then Drinkwitz was considered an up-and-comer who – you know, had had a lot of ties to the area. So, you know, Pittman was just, well, the Georgia offensive line coach is going to be our coach. Now, when I started to kind of think this may work out was when he made his coordinator hires. And this is the the big key for guys like this. Look how much of a better coach Ed or head coach Ed Orgeron was when Joe Brady and Steve Ensminger were dialing up the ball plays. Mm-hmm. And he had a and he had Dave Aranda as his defensive coordinator, who's a real good coach, as opposed to what they're doing now and what they did last year. Look at Dabo Sweeney; he had to go hire Brent Venables. He had to get Chad Morris in there, who handed it off to Tony Elliott, and they've been really good on offense ever since. Uh, and, and so the guys that that are just head coaches, you're like, ah, oh, it's a head coach. They can do it by hiring good staff, but you have to hire a good staff. I mean, you can't. You can't just sit there and go because there's no, you know, like there's no like, okay, I'm Lane Kiffin. My offensive coordinator has failed me. I'm just going to call the plays from now on. I mean, there's nothing – there's no backstop uh, to do that. And so when he hires Kendall Bryles, who who was out of a job because he was part of a dumpster fire at Georgia State, and Kendall is like his old man. I mean, really, he can beat you running the ball. He can beat you throwing the ball. Whatever. And that's a tremendous offense, I think, for SEC programs that don't necessarily recruit the five-star drop-back passers, right? Because if you have a guy like Jefferson, uh, who's a more of a runner, kind of dual-threat guy, you could plug him in and it'll work. If you have a, a guy that's not Jefferson, that's maybe more of a passer, you could it adjusts and you can work it. I mean, it's uh, 
I've watched a lot of Art Browse teams and Kendall's over the years, and that's the beauty of that offense. And, and so that was a great hire. And then it just so happens Barry Odom gets fired. And say what you want about Barry Odom as a, as a head coach. Obviously, Missouri wasn't happy that that happened. There's Alma Mata. But he's a hell of a defensive coordinator, man. You know, like when he was at Memphis, Memphis was I – mean, you wouldn't expect an American conference team to be as nasty on defense as they were from a scheme standpoint, and they were. And then he went and worked with Pinkle, and they had some good defenses. So Barry Odom was a big-time coordinator hire. And so he's got two really good guys running both sides of the ball, and Pittman can just sit there and recruit and motivate and install culture and and and, and confidence, the C&C. Now, moving forward, I think it all comes crashing down this weekend in Athens. Uh, I just think that teams sometimes, you know, get out there and they play so well and play confident. Uh, and you got two emotional games. I mean, how much, how much more emotion do they have? Do they have enough confidence and emotion to go in there and beat the dogs between the hedges right now with the way Georgia's playing? That's asking a lot. You know, and it's probably asking a lot for them to remain in the top ten all year, Mike, because huh. you they haven't played Alabama yet. They haven't played Ole Miss yet. They haven't played Mississippi State, LSU. All those teams you have to play from the West. And it's a tough draw from the East playing Georgia. But, you know, right now, yeah, that, that's the that's one of the stories of the year. And And I wish I could say I was shocked by it. Like, right now I'm shocked. But after he made those coordinator hires and filled out his staff, heck, I thought, man, Sam Pittman's going to probably do a pretty good job there. Uh, and so far he has. And, and, look, I'm happy for the Razorback fans. I know a lot of them. Man, oh, man, to, to, to jump out of the – I mean, they were in the abyss. I would Chad say even, what, what's lower than the abyss? They nothing. were beyond the abyss. Like nothing. They, they yeah, were in the yeah. swamp. They I were mean, in the bottom of the swamp with, like – dead rodents and alligators and never to be found again. It felt like. Yeah. Here's how bad it got. I think Chad Morris's last game, they only had about 30,000 in the stands at Razorback stadium. Again, this is a loyal, passionate fan base and they are the only game in that state. Great fans. Great fans. So when only 30,000 show up, that's a problem. Yeah. They're playing Western Kentucky who started a quarterback that Chad Morris had just basically run off. Western Kentucky wins 45 to 19. I remember. And then Morris gets fired and that's that. So, you know, that's how bad it had gotten in Fayetteville. And then, you know, you you sort of saw in the first half against Georgia last year in the opener, Mike, you know, they were, they were tied or I guess maybe even in the lead with the dogs. And then they started winning some games. You know, they beat they beat the Pirate. They beat Mississippi State. They uh, they beat Ole Miss last year. Matt Corral threw six interceptions in that game. Um, and they were really close in several others. LSU went down to the wire. Missouri was a two-point loss. Very competitive season. I, if I'm not mistaken, I think their bowl got canceled because of COVID like a lot of them did, which was unfortunate. But, hey, they've started 4-0 this year. Um I, I just can't say not a good, uh, enough good about them. Uh, but, like, I, I was on the radio today in Tuscaloosa, and they tell me, they're like, what do you think about Arkansas? Can they go in and win? And I was like, it's like that movie Apocalypse Now. 
it opens up and what do you hear this is the end <laughs> beautiful friend the door song this is the end of the i believe <clears throat> the streak of winning uh for arkansas certainly not the end of the season but um you just have to be impressed so far i mean i, I think and like i said you know we've only time we've really talked about Arkansas here, Mike, is, is to talk about how terrible they've been. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and then last year, I think we mentioned, ah, pretty good. You know, I mean, they're, they're, they're hanging in there. But, uh, you know, just certainly very, very impressed with them and happy for their fans. Well, and again, I, I think I'm sure a lot of our listeners uh, located in, in various spots across the country in the southeast have probably never been to Arkansas. Um, have probably never seen a game in Arkansas or kind of uh, felt the culture a little bit. Uh, obviously with my job, I've been there a bunch for multiple sports and I can just tell you those wins over the Texas teams mean so, so much Uh, that, that got that exercise decades of demons of frustration. And I'm not saying that, you know, it doesn't matter what they do the rest of the way. Of course it does, but I'm telling you they're playing with house money. They are playing with house money to be able to claim wins over the top two Texas programs in the month of September away from home. Come on. It doesn't get much better than that. It just doesn't. Um, And I'll be the first one to tell you, I had no positive vibes about the hire. I thought it was a non plus hire. I think, I didn't think it was bad per se, because I knew the reality of the situation. Arkansas couldn't just go out and get whoever they wanted after the Chad Morris debacle. They weren't going to hire another hot young OC, but you mentioned some of his background, and I love doing this. I love I love tracking the path of a of a grinder of a coach. I have so much respect for the grinders, not the guys who you know the the, the son of a legendary dad or whatever. Um, guys that are in their late fifties that have never been a coordinator, let alone a head coach, don't get jobs like this normally. That's what made it flukish. And that's what made it kind of like, huh? What? Who? Guys in their late fifties. If you're a young assistant that's got that's got a kind of a pizzazz about, it, like an Eli Drinkwitz has that, a Dabo Sweeney had that. Sam Pittman didn't have any of that. I mean, Sam Pittman doesn't. He didn't win the press conference. People didn't walk away from that introductory press conference going, "Oh man, I was wrong. This is a home run hire." There's none of that. But you, you sometimes. Uh, beauty is beyond skin deep. And, and he obviously has some intangibles there that most did not anticipate. But here's his track record. He's from Oklahoma. And never, we, I know we got to move on. We can't talk Arkansas football for an hour and a half on this podcast. But he, he, he grew up in Oklahoma. He plays at Pittsburgh State University in Pittsburgh, Kansas. Uh, and, and, and then then comes the coaching. A GA at Pitt State in, in 84 or 85. He coaches Beggs High School, not as a head coach, as the OC at 86. Princeton Junior Senior High School, Trenton High School, Hutchinson Community College, O-line coach. That is a pretty premier JUCO. Northern Illinois, O-line. Cincinnati, uh, tackles and tight ends. Oklahoma, O-line. Western Michigan, Missouri, Kansas, Northern Illinois, North Carolina, Tennessee, Arkansas, Georgia, to Arkansas as the head coach in 2020. I just spanned for you uh, 35 years of grinding before he got the job. Again, it's very rare 
that that's the that's the uh, the path because all these ads kind of form they they it's a copycat league so to speak copycat uh, sport everybody sees what everybody else is doing and they figure okay that's what we got to do and then we got to we got to sell the alumni and the boosters on why this is a great hire that they should be excited about there was nothing there with Sam Pittman on the hire so I just. I'm so happy for him because he's got to be one of the most likable guys in the profession. And as you mentioned, happy for the Arkansas fan base. All right. Any other games uh, that, that you paid a lot of attention to or kind of just struck your fancy over the weekend? Oh, I'd, I'd be remiss. Notre Dame in Wisconsin, obviously and Clemson yeah. and NC state. Uh, yeah. I thought, Notre Dame has played uninspired football so far this year. Uh, And honestly, man, we didn't know how good they were going to be. They got a Wisconsin transfer in their quarterback. You just, you know, you didn't, I didn't know. And and, then they let Florida state up off the mat. And then sometimes when you do that, I've noticed teams can, they can go in a rut for a little while. And, you know, so you looked at it and it was, um, Next week, they almost get lost to Toledo, who's not that good of a MAC team. Uh, and, you know, they just kind of played some uninspired ball against Purdue. But then next thing you know, they just – at Soldier Field in Chicago, which, by the way, the Bears are leaving Soldier Field, which is interesting. Uh, in the Shamrock Series, Notre Dame gets up off the mat. They, they're behind early and just whips them. Uh <clears throat> Somebody pointed out the other day that uh, Notre Dame over the past few years is like 47 and five. And two of those losses have been to Bama and one to Clemson. And I mean, it's like they've lost to good teams. Uh, And so don't count out the Irish. Also, if I'm not mistaken, Brian Kelly set some sort of wins record at Notre Dame, which you wouldn't have thought. I mean, there were people that were convinced he was going to the NFL, you know? And, um, you know, so, so, so they, they stood out. Obviously, some of these teams struggling like Oklahoma and Iowa uh, stood out. You know, I, I thought that the Clemson-NC State game, I was, I was just shocked Dave Dorn was capable of pulling off that upset. Although I will say in Raleigh, they've been sort of due. I mean, they've given Clemson in Raleigh a, a hard time uh, at times. And uh, they've been due, and uh, they finally got over the hump against the Tigers. With you know, Clemson's struggling on 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 you know offense right now. Rutgers impressed me against Michigan. Michigan's been playing good ball. That game was a seven point game. North Carolina got slaughtered by Georgia Tech. So I know you're there in Atlanta, Mike. I know Georgia Tech. I'm going to be in Chapel Hill on Saturday. At rough start to the season, but man, yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I was just saying I'm going to be in Chapel Hill on Saturday uh, for UNC Duke. Uh-huh. And uh, it, that game's going to have a different vibe because UNC, much like Clemson, uh, there have been three teams that were preseason top 10 that already have two losses. And Clemson and North Carolina are two of them. And it, it's it's kind of hard to figure how that happened. In the case of Clemson, just to double back to that, Sure. No, no O line, and and here's the thing about Uyagalele, DJ, he's not there yet. Now I know he can throw the ball through a pane glass window, but so much of playing quarterback 
at this level is being accurate. I, I don't need the guy that can throw at 70 yards in a punt pass and kick contest. He has not been very accurate. He has not been very sharp. Uh, mitigating factor, yes, a leaky offensive line, but it's been both. I think they're both culpable and why that offense has been very disappointing. And now you compound it with the injuries with Shipley uh, and, and others. I, I, it's, I don't think they're, they're done with just two losses. I think Clemson's going to have a, a tough road to hoe the rest of the way. Got to be careful with Boston College this weekend. You know, they gave them all they got. Wow. BC with a big win over Missouri last weekend, which is interesting. And, and I'm with you, Mike. I, and I look, people, people, I mean, the, the secret's out. You know, I, I'm a South Carolina guy. I own a South Carolina website. That's Clemson's in-state rival. So I have to be careful about, you know, being critical of them at all. I'd, I'd prefer just not to say anything or I think you've been fair. And be fair. I don't think DJ is the answer at Clemson. Mm-hmm. And I think they probably are going to see something next year where if, if nothing happens, you know, transfer wise in the off season, you know, cause keep in mind, he's from California and the risk you run sometimes uh, with kids that are further away from your campus is Mike, if the least little thing goes wrong, they want to go back home. You know, I, I can't do this anymore. Now, I think his family's moved to South Carolina, stuff like that, so easier said than done. But I, I just, you know, everybody hyped him up. I thought he played well last year in the two games he was in. But if you look at those games, Mike, Travis Etienne was huge in those. Their, their receivers were good. They don't have that slot receiver that can fly anymore. They got a bunch of big, physical, fast guys that are – you know, a lot of they're going to play in the NFL at wide receiver. And then they have Justin Ross. But, you know, the Amari Rogers of the world, you know, the Hunter Renfro from a couple of years ago, mm. they're kind of missing that guy. The offensive line's a mess. And then at running back, um, if you notice that the starting running back at Wisconsin left Clemson to go to Wisconsin, he's from Florida, Chaz Melusi, I think is his name. And then they lost another kid before he even played, Demarcus Bowman, who's from Lakeland, Florida. And and let me just, you coaches that are out there uh, listening that recruit, if you're going to sign a kid from Lakeland, Florida, that Florida wants, you know, be, you may not end up with it. Okay. (laughs) Mike, you're from that state that Lakeland is gator, gator, heavy country. I've never, that was when Clemson got that kid. That's the first time I've ever seen, you know, a big time five star player from Lakeland not go to the University of Florida. Uh, and Florida wanted him. And, but where is he now? The University of Florida. <laughs> so, so their running back room got kind of depleted a little bit. When you can't run the football, I mean, it doesn't matter how you can pass them, but they can't. They're trying to run DJ a little bit to loosen things up. You know, Tony Elliott taking the crap he has and Dabo Sweeney taking the crap he has is wrong. Um, here's the fundamental problem, and, and I, I've griped about this not because of Clemson, college football in general. Here's the fundamental problem with hyping up Clemson and North Carolina a bunch this offseason. Um, you're looking at recruiting rankings only, okay? You know, you don't look at the fact, uh, Travis, oh, Travis Etienne was a great player. They're going to miss him, Trevor Lawrence, but, hey, they got these five stars coming in. Not everybody's Alabama. Not everybody can just, you know, crap out a player, as Nick Saban likes to say it. And if you notice, Bama's very rarely replacing guys that have 
you know, a bunch of experience that are great with guys that have no experience. Okay. So, you know, and you see the same thing on defense at Ohio State right now and when with Justin Fields, not a quarterback. So I, I think it was unrealistic to sit there and go, well, for in North Carolina's case, well, Sam Howell, you know, is great, right? But his top however many receivers are gone from last year. Yeah, and then those the two NFL. running backs, you know, were like three-star kids out of North Carolina. But what people didn't realize is Javante Williams and Michael Carter were two of the best backs in the history of North Carolina football. Right. But because they were those three stars, everybody thought, well, this kid that was a four-star at Tennessee is just going to roll in there and, and they're just mm-hmm. going to keep on going. That doesn't happen. And then mm-hmm. North Carolina's defense has a lot of talent, and they are going to be quite salty in a year, but there's a lot of like inexperienced guys. So they're probably a year away. Mm-hmm. And, and when they go up, like you mentioned at the top of the show against these older players, you know, the, the other team has an advantage because you, you just don't, there's a gap in the development there. And that that's just, you know, people, people really these days, I think are clueless about how college football teams are put together because of the emphasis on recruiting. And I've made money off that. I'm not downing the star system, but I'm not one of these stars don't matter kind of guys. I'm just saying fans, analysts, the media, everybody, you know, you're not doing your coaching staff any favors by just saying, ah, add water, go play football. And because right. that just doesn't happen uh, in this sport. It's much easier to do in other sports, not, not in football. So yeah. I think that's, um, you know, I think that's what's happening to Clemson, to North Carolina. I don't know what's wrong at Oklahoma because they got a lot of players back, right? Huh. Uh, you know, uh, and Ohio State should probably be better than they are. Uh, but they lost a lot, too. You can't expect – and then these people wanting to bench C.J. Stroud and bench Spencer Rad. Like, come on, give me a break. Now, maybe Caleb Williams is better than Rattler. I've never been uh, – Fired up about Spencer Rattler, to be honest with you, at Oklahoma. I mean, he put up a lot of yards and stuff like that at Oklahoma. Great. Lots of guys do. But, yeah, I, I never thought he was Kyler Murray. Um, so, maybe Caleb Williams is better. and Maybe he comes in and saves the season. Uh, there's nobody behind DJ Clemson. Uh, you know, there's a kid, there's kids at Ohio State. They're kind of pushing to play. Uh, I think it's a little ridiculous. I, I think you got to be realistic and, you know, not pull the trigger and, you know, sort of stay out of the echo chamber. But – um you know, it, it, I'd, I'd like to say I was shocked by some of this, but my gut feeling has been for a while, you have the hype train all offseason. And, and I'm not saying that these are the first schools in the history of college football, you know, to be overhyped. I mean, there's lots of them every single year. I'm just saying that the 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 data and the metrics and the uh, what goes into some of these opinions or most of them these days with the media uh, are a bit clueless. Because they're things that don't mean anything, um, well, you know. That's why I like Phil Steele, quite frankly, Mike, because he gets on the phone and talks to coaches all summer. You know, we talk to Phil. We have him on the show every summer. Phil Steele, and he, he talks about I was talking to this guy and this guy and this guy, and you know, eighty, ninety percent of the coaches in the country talk to him, so he gets a really good picture. And I think that's why he's really good at – even if his picks are not necessarily right and he's not batting a 1,000, uh, I think that's why he's the most thorough uh, that we got out there today. I think there's a lot of talking points that a lot of people in the media and the college football ecosystem, if you will, uh, need to take a long look at as far as why we're repeating them and all that. 
you know, next time. Uh, and, and that's just me now, you know, uh, you know, I, yeah, I'm done with that. So that's, uh, I've been, I've been kind of beating that drum for a while, you know, I, we, I mean, I think, we hit a for, I, mean I think everybody thought we're going to continue to play seven on seven. We're going to kick the whole sports going to continue to look like the big 12 and all these teams at the top of the recruiting rankings are just going to keep on rolling um, without, well, you it know, did kind anything. of feel that way, right? I mean, because um, it it has been that way. So, like, like I, I get it. I think you're I think you're dead on on all your points. But I also understand why fans just assumed that the the well wasn't going to run dry. Like there wasn't going to be a, a a blip on the radar, and it was just going to continue to uh, because they do crap out. What was the Nick say, what was the thing he used? Uh, he said, like, people horn. just think we're go- somebody goes down, we're just going to – he used the S word, the S word. Well, nobody used that, some kind of horn. Oh, that was when he was talking about the Georgia Southern game because they were running the triple option. And, uh, by the way, Georgia Southern's coach first to get fired this year. Yeah, a guy Kevin who won Lunsford. like 10 games a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah, but, right, yeah but and he, did, said, he said they ran through our asses like through a tin horn and we yeah, couldn't yeah, stop. Yeah, 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 tin horn. Okay. Through no, I'm, I'm mixing my Nick Saban metaphors here, uh, yeah. which is which is not good. But yeah, but he, it, said, he said, you know, everybody just thinks we're going to shoot out another player and he yeah, banged yeah. the podium. And, and, and for, you know, look, in a lot of ways, that's what's been happening. Like, I I, I get it. Like not all five stars are built the same. And, and I, you know, I just, I started off this podcast talking about the Intel that I've gotten from coaches is that this is going to be as close to a parody year as we've had because mm-hmm. of the extra year given. And, and there's older teams uh, in that, that second and third tier that we haven't usually had, but all that being said, I mean, we have just been living in a world where the same half a dozen teams are playing for the high stakes and everybody else is just, they're in another stratosphere. So this is refreshing. Uh, and you're right. Anybody who's critical of Dabo Sweeney, you, maybe if you're a Clemson fan and you're like 19 years old, you don't know any better. Uh, go back and look at the Tommy West, Tommy Bowden era and, and ask yourself if, if you really want to rush to that, that keyboard and rip Dabo Sweeney. Now, some of the national folks rip them. Uh, we learned a lot about national college football writers during the pandemic. Mm. They could not help themselves to overwhelm you with their politics and virtually every story. And so Dabo doesn't fit the mold of what they like in a human being. Uh, let's be honest about that. There's a couple of coaches that they feel that way and you, and you can sense that. I think Dan Mullen gets a lot of crap because of the same thing. I, I think a lot of people just don't like Dan Mullen. He doesn't fit what they think uh, a, a coach should be. Uh, they don't like his attitude towards certain things. Mike Gundy, same thing. It's, it's pervasive. You can just tell. You can tell where, where the mindset is for some of the people that cover the sport, who they decide they're going to like and who they're going to just wait to pounce on. But Dabo Sweeney doesn't have to apologize for anything about the job he's done. Clemson was irrelevant for the most part for decades before Dabo turned that thing out of nowhere into a national power. So if this is an off year, if this is eight and four, if, if this is nine and three, whatever it is, if they don't make the ACC championship game, which is entirely possible, so be it. They'll be back next year. I mean, there, <laughs> there's no reason to be critical of him. 
Uh, obviously, no reason to be critical of Ryan Day or Lincoln uh, Riley. These are guys that have all uh, they, they've got a lot of equity in terms of they can have an off year and still be the right guy for uh, the job. By the way, and I don't want to spend too much time on this because, again, we've, we've still got all of week five to cover. But the Southern Cal job, all signs and indications appear to be that their top two targets in order are Franklin and Fickle, the two F's. Franklin and Fickle, that sounds like a, like a good law firm. If you've been injured in an accident, JC, call the fine attorneys at Franklin and Fickle. They'll get you a big, big check. Um, I'm still of the opinion that if things go the way potentially they can in Happy Valley this year, and it is a really successful year, they're going to G him up. They're not going to lose a bidding war. Um, Franklin's never been to the left coast. And the tax dollars, I think, I think you're looking at, and somebody will correct me on this, I'm sure, there's going to be like a, uh, a CPA that's listening right now that's going to hit me up. And please hit me up, Twitter, at Morgan on Air, because I know you're wrong on those numbers. But I had heard it's the difference is something like 3 to 12% state income tax when you go to California. So even if you had a slight bump in pay, you could wind up losing money by taking that job. If you moved from Penn State to to Southern Cal, he's never been on the left coast. Uh, at times, they haven't loved him like every other program. They only love you as much as you win. But if he has a great year this year, they will love him again and they will do everything they can to keep him. And my guess is he would stay. I think the more realistic choice would be fickle. And there's probably some other names out there that we're not even hearing about. But but that is the latest on the southern cal uh, coaching search which by the way if anybody thought the interim coach whose name just eluded me was going to get the job i don't know why you would have thought that he he got absolutely throttled and embarrassed uh in in the last game against a, oregon state right what was the score of that game i mean a, a lot 25 27 beavers okay uh, by and, the way the and, beavers coach jonathan smith i think his name's pretty good guy they've been gradually getting better so there you go but, um, you, but go. you man you lose i think i think a game was it wasn't in corvallis either it was in the coliseum and dante williams uh is the name of the interim he's a this guy's been around a while good recruiter he's been on the west coast started at san jose state and worked as well i, I get it again there's nothing about know, him that's appealing to be there you know, i think people kind of thought that because the last you know the last two interims they've had have been um they've done a decent job you know, they've done, you get, you know did a decent job and then play helton actually got the job so right right yeah, but there's happen. a big difference between winning and of course he hasn't even won yet but winning as an interim and then being the guy uh, they're not, they're look, you don't fire Clay hate Clay Helton in the middle of the season, uh, to, to promote this guy to be your head coach who yeah. has no track record of, of, you know, that's, that's, that's to say that, well, he's recruited well in that area. There's a lot of people that are yeah. recruit well in yeah. Southern Cal, you know? Um, okay. The, uh, the, the games coming up this week and I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention a few other games. LSU beats Mississippi State. Uh, People are turning on Mike Leach. That's another one. His personality is going to right off the bat. A lot of people are not going to like him. They're going to pull against him on a national uh, basis. And then locally, the fans are are hearing 
that, uh, look, this offense is not going to work in the SEC and da 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 da. Um, you know, that may be right, that may be not. I don't have a strong opinion on that one way or another, but I'm trying to think the last time Mississippi State would have been expected to beat LSU in that game, no matter who the coach was. Yeah. You know, they, they haven't had another Dak Prescott. You know, they, they, they just, Will Rogers is a fine quarterback. Nick Fitzgerald was limited. The, the, the last hire was a, was a complete train wreck. Um, so I, I don't know. And then, uh, you know, Kentucky beats up on South Carolina, not, not beats up as a close game, but it was an ugly game. Um, and what is the other, uh, Florida trounces Tennessee. That used to be a great rivalry. Tennessee still has a long ways to go. And um, that's not a Josh, Josh Heupel thing as much right now as it is. They got to get players. They're just they're not on the same playing field. So there's some other games of note in yeah. the Southeastern Conference. Yeah, Kentucky looking? wins ugly a lot. I I just uh, you know I think Mississippi State fans need to chill about Leach. There's a reason you hired Leach. You know, personnel wise, you have to kind of to run what he wants to run and, and to even give it a shot. You know, you have to kind of retool your receivers. You have to have a certain type of quarterback. Will Rogers has actually been pretty good. Yeah. They got completed jobbed. 50 passes. They got jobbed against Memphis, bad call against Memphis. Yeah. Uh, and look, man, they beat NC state pretty good. What, what I've been, you know, uh, you know, the LSU game, it's always disappointing because, you know, usually LSU rubs their nose in Mississippi State. Uh, last year, obviously, was an anomaly in Leach's opener. Uh, but to lose late like that against an LSU team that's still finding its way is tough. Now they got to go to College Station where they've been successful historically. And I'm sure – and Leach certainly has won his share of games there. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, Texas A&M's – they can't score right now. So – I, I really don't care how much talent A&M has uh, overall compared to Mississippi State, which there is an advantage. Um, if A&M can't score, uh, Mississippi State's going to be able to generate enough offense, in my opinion, to go in there and win. So It's possible. Yeah, it's all, possible. The, all, this, uh, all this talk about, oh, Leach, you know, all this other stuff, this offense ain't going to work. Well, Mississippi State's got a pretty good defense. I mean, they held NC State down – uh, to 10, you know, they it's a Zach Arnett's a really good coordinator, but mm-hmm. uh, AM can't just flat out is brutal on the which goes back to which goes back to you know what I always talk about because I mean, you've got talent. I know the offensive line lost a lot of dudes, although the one dude they kept uh, might be the best in, in the league. Uh, but Anias Smith and A Chain and Spiller. Uh, they got some dudes, but they don't have a good quarterback right now. And yeah. and even when Haynes was out there, you know, he was raw. And and so Jimbo without good quarterback play doesn't resemble the, a, a genius. You know, he's just, just a different looking cat. Like most coaches, if, if you, if you don't have that thing settled at that position, it's really hard to win because they've got a phenomenal defense. Now, I know they didn't look that phenomenal, and the loss to Arkansas, but part of that is is because you're not getting any help from your offense. You know, eventually the defense is, it it just gives way if you're constantly trying to be so perfect because that's the only way they can win games right now. That to me, you want to talk about potential disappointments. Uh, If Texas Mm. A&M 
you know, if they lose a game like that, or if, if they don't, this was supposed to be the year I wasn't buying this, but that some people thought, Hey, they could win the West. They could be the team to beat. I mean, nobody has taken that bet right about now. Okay. So we got an interesting slate of games coming up this week. I'm going to, I'm going to go over the main ones that I see, and I'm even going to give you point spreads for those that love that kind of thing. Cincinnati, Notre Dame. Now Cincinnati is a two and a half point favorite against the Irish. How about them apples? Uh, Obviously Cincinnati has to win to have any shot at the playoff. And I would say there's a good chance Notre Dame has to win it too. You could make the argument that they could still sneak in. I I don't think this is the year they sneak in with one loss, quite frankly. Um, uh, More on that in a moment. Arkansas at Georgia, as intriguing as it is, Vegas likes the, uh, the Bulldogs by 18 and a half. Baylor at Oklahoma State. What a story Baylor has been thus far. Okie State, five and a half point favorite. Florida at Kentucky. Uh, Florida, an eight point favorite in that game. Four and O, Kentucky. Florida's one loss to Alabama. Auburn at LSU. Auburn already going to the backup quarterback. Um, they, as you mentioned, they were very fortunate to win that game against Georgia State. At LSU, LSU a three-and-a-half-point favorite. That's intriguing to me. Michigan at Wisconsin. Is this the year Jim Harbaugh Harbaugh finally uh, takes home the conference crown? Like They certainly look good enough to beat teams like Wisconsin and Ohio State. Uh, Maybe so. Wisconsin, though, a two-point favorite at home. Mississippi State at Texas A&M. The Aggies a seven-point favorite. And I'll throw in a couple under-the-radars. Arizona State at UCLA, and uh, this is one (laughs) – this is what America's been waiting for. Uh, You will be able to cut the tension with a very sharp object in Nashville, Commodore Stadium. The UConn Huskies, perhaps the worst team in football, taking on the Vanderbilt Commodores. Uh, Vanderbilt a 14-point favorite in that one. Yeah, I, Vanderbilt, UConn's kind of – I feel bad because, you know, the, the, a lot of times as sports fans, we, we look at teams and athletes and we don't consider the human factor. And, and these are college kids that are trying their best, you know, and everybody's cracking on them all week. But, hey, look, Vanderbilt, you had that game against East Tennessee. Uh, I don't think Vanderbilt's – going to be very good this year, but I, I do appreciate the fact, you know, they got off off the mat. They went and won a road game in Colorado uh, for Collins against Colorado state came back, played pretty decent against Stanford for a while before faltering and then just got the doors, no pun intended blown off of them against Georgia. Um, but Hey, it's a chance for a win. And if you're Clark Lee and you want to build that program any little win you get, anytime you look good, you, you capitalize on it. It's a, it is a complete rebuild there. Derek Mason, um, you know, for all the wins over Tennessee and minor bowl trips, a couple of them he got, and he ran that thing kind of in the ground, just to be honest. And uh, I never thought he was a good hire. They gave him seven years. It's like seven years in Tibet. <laughs> I mean, seriously, the guy, the first year he goes, he, he takes over a nine win team, which had a lot of players coming back from it. Mike mm-hmm. James Franklin goes to, to Penn state and he goes winless in the sec. <laughs> I 
And I'm like, woo. Now he had some good moments. You know, their game against Tennessee, he he kind of had Tennessee's number, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, he danced uh, every time he beat them. Other time, otherwise, you know, that, that was something else. But yeah, I kind of feel bad for that. But I think Vandy probably wins in a pretty pretty good margin. Although this is the same Vandy program that was at home to UNLV a couple of years ago and lost 34 to 10 at home to UNLV. So All right, UNLV, I think the not a good escape. football program. <laughs> um, this isn't basketball we're talking about, folks. This is not basketball in the 80s and 90s. But, uh, you know, yeah, I, I like some of these matchups. You know, oh, by the way, by the way, since uh, that I'm... loss to Ole Miss is undefeated. Right, and they go to they go to the wake they go to Winston Salem this week. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, if you look at the Atlantic Division, if 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 Clemson is not the team that you know, if they're going to lose a handful more, um, you know, you you wonder, you know, can Boston cut because Florida State's out too? You know, Florida State's completely in the dumpster. Uh, so who's going to – will Wake Forest win it? Will Louisville win it? Is NC State going to take it? Could Boston College win it? I mean, that's a, that all of a sudden becomes a fascinating division, um, you know, if indeed Clemson does falter. So this Wake Forest-Louisville game could be huge, uh, you know, during the weekend. But, I, I you know, I it, it is. This, this week five, Mike, to me – is uh, probably the best slate top to bottom as far as, like, matchups we all care about. Um, I'll give you two more sleepers, too, uh, just to look at. Ohio State at Rutgers. Don't laugh. Rutgers is good. Shiano. They played Michigan within a touchdown. Shiano has gotten that thing going back in the right direction. He has a stud offensive coordinator. They're playing good defense. This game is in Piscataway, the birthplace of college football. I see you can get a ticket. State University of New Jersey fans for as low as $24. Um, that's cheap these days. Uh, so, so look out for that. I, I think that's a real under-the-radar one uh, as far as that all goes. And then, you know, you, you sort of look around the country and, and, and you're looking for, like, something that could be another big upset and a feather in the cap of a young up-and-coming coach. Will Healy and the Charlotte 49ers travel to Champaign, Illinois, to play the Illinois Illini. Illinois kind of fallen on hard times since that big win over Nebraska. Uh, but, you know, Charlotte has beaten Duke and has played pretty competitive football this year. So that could be another big win. If you're a mid-major coach looking to move up, people always look at that. Uh, and of course, Will Healy's been a great story. He won at Austin P. That Charlotte job is a good job. Uh, and, and then I'll throw Iowa at Maryland in there. Not many people know this. And, and and by the way, we're running out of time, so it's another discussion, and we'll see if it sucks as bad next week. The polls are completely ridiculous right now. I mean, you know, Notre Dame is like tenth, and they they was literally thumped Wisconsin. So people are holding. The, I mean, they're using the transitive property too much. You know, Maryland's undefeated, right? Now, they don't really have an impressive win. Uh, I guess, well, they've beaten West Virginia and Illinois. And then Kent State's solid for a MAC team. So they're 4-0. Mike Loxley's got a 4-0. Uh, but Iowa, front runners right now, fifth-ranked Hawkeyes, uh, roll into College Park on Thursday night uh, to play the Terps. And, you know, heck, uh, 
Iowa was less than stellar last week and Maryland wins that one. You know, all of a sudden we're, we're talking about Terps football for the first time since who Ralph region. So, um, that, those are my kind of under-the-radar games for this week. I like it. I like it. I, I did save one for last, and, and I, the reason I did that is because this is what struck me. Um, I mentioned point spreads. The other thing I look at is over-unders, right? Mm-hmm. So so I was looking at my game, as I always do, and, again, Duke, uh, North Carolina, I've got that. It's a, a noon special on the deuce. Uh Cutcliffe, who did a remarkable job at, at Duke for a while, but they've hit some tough times. And of course, we already talked about North Carolina. The over-under on that is 72. Ah. And I said, that's got to be the highest number on the board. And I'm looking at all the other games. I don't see anything near 72, except for one game. You want to guess what the highest over-under for a college football game this week, I'll give you a clue. It's not like some Mountain West game or something. It is a Power Five matchup, including a team that is known for really good defense. Is it Alabama Ole Miss? Yes. Gosh, I can't believe we didn't talk about that game. Yeah, Alabama, I mean that. Well, I wanted to save it for last. Yeah, the yeah. over the over under on Bama uh, Bama Ole Miss is seventy nine and a half. So what the people in the desert are saying, we all know Alabama's going to score a bunch of points on that Ole Miss defense, which has been better, but it's still got some issues. What what Vegas is saying, though, is that Matt Corral, who I've said this since, I don't know, July, is the best quarterback in college football when everybody was on the Spencer Rattler and Uwe Uggalale bandwagon. It's, it's Matt Corral, and I'm not sure it's even that close. Uh, what they are saying is against that vaunted – Nick Saban, Alabama defense. Ole Miss is still going to score a lot of points in this game. They're going to lose, according to Vegas, but they're going to score. And so it's going to be uh, a a good old-fashioned shootout, which obviously is great for TV and and just fans that don't have a rooting interest. So I thought that was interesting because you're not used to seeing a a 79-and-a-half over-under on a game that involves Alabama unless they're scoring 79-and-a-half points themselves. Absolutely. You know, and that's uh, that's kind of the new Alabama, though. And then that's why Nick Saban's kind of geared his offense up, because uh, I think when Hugh Freeze was at Ole Miss, he, he got tired of losing to them and not being able to stop them well and stuff. And there are games these days you're going to have to be outscored. Um, I will caution people about this. I'm in, I'm impressed beyond impressed with Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss and what he's done with that program in a short amount of time. I will tell you, he inherited a good bit of offensive talent. No that question. said, Matt Corral, to me, Mike, senior year high school, he was one of those recruits that stock went down. California kid was committed to Florida. Florida was like, eh. I think that was during the transition from McElwain to uh, Mullen. He's not really – he's maybe a Mullen guy. I don't know. Um, Kyle Trask was. Uh, but what he's done with Corral – is unreal. You know, you watch Matt Corral when Rodriguez was there the year before, and he just looked lost. He wasn't a fit for that scheme. Kiffin comes in there, and all of a sudden the guy's throwing it, like, with arm levels and stuff, like Patrick Mahomes, and you're like, wow, dude. That's <laughs> that's very impressive, you know, for that kid. So, um, I, uh, I, you know, I can't say enough good about him. That being said, 
I would like to caution everyone that Alabama's defense is a lot better than it was last year. Even though they gave up those points to Florida, I think they got up 21-3 and lost focus, which they've got a lot of young players, and sometimes that happens. And in 2020, that was that that that's the exception, not the rule. So I'd, I'd take the under in this one, quite frankly. And I do think the Ole Miss defense kind of has a chip on its shoulder. Uh, you know, DJ Durkin's an excellent coordinator. I I do think they're going to probably come in uh, and you know make some plays. And I think we'll be sitting there in the second quarter at you know maybe 14 to seven. Uh, and I, you know all these people that are like it's going to be an 80. 80 to 76 shootout, you know, uh, maybe a little disappointed, but I, I think it could be a hell of a football game, though. Um, but I would I caution so. everybody on that. Odor. In fact, yours truly is probably loading up on the under. <laughs> I just gave you ammunition to uh, get the old wallet out and uh, and, and call somebody, uh, <laughs> a guy there in Chi-Town. Be careful, JC. I don't want to hear you uh, – uh, floating the, at the bottom of Lake Michigan. The beauty, the beauty of it is, I don't have to go to Cicero and talk to Mister Capone to do it. It's uh, it's legal in Illinois. Oh, so it is. It's all, okay, it's all on the app. They they track your location and say, okay, who you are. So anyway, all right. Well, good deal. Well, there it is. That that's the line. By the way, Alabama's a fourteen and a half point favorite. But I just that 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 over under number startled me when i saw it. it's like it's crazy wow we are really we are really thinking that this that old miss is going to score a ton of points and look they might and again all give credit to matt luke when he was there he might have been a placeholder but he brought in some offensive talent now and he, he set up the next guy you know i every now and then i like to play the what if game what if rich rodriguez had taken the, the Alabama job when he turned it down. Right. You know, I mean, what, what if, uh, what if like you, you, you've been, you just covered Shane Beamer and, and this weekend, you know, what if, uh, what if Matt Corral grew up in Irmo, South Carolina and committed under the previous Will Muschamp staff and Shane Beamer inherits uh, Matt Corral as his quarterback instead of the guys that, that he's got in the stable. No offense to Luke Doty and company, but I, I, there's a lot of you can play a lot of what if games on uh, on, on certain scenarios. But uh, mm. but I remember doing an Ole Miss game years ago, and Matt Corral walked in there, and he'd just gotten the starting job over uh, the quote unquote athlete um, who's now a wide receiver there, John Reese Plumley. Uh, Plumley. And, and everybody loved Plumley. Yeah, we thought he was going to be a star because he was running Rich Rod's offense. Right, right. I mean, Rich he was Rod like was, the, yeah. the 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 local Pat White. Yeah, Plumley's yeah. also a good baseball player, by the way. But uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, and, and it wasn't so much Mike. Oh, well, Corral's this really great passing quarterback. So, but Plumley's more of a fit for the system. It, it was factual to say Plumley was, but Corral just didn't look very good. I mean, he, he just wasn't very good. So, um, you know, there we go. Okay. There we go. And there we have it. Uh, I know we got a scoot here. Looking forward to a great weekend of action, great weekend of games, and uh, certainly looking forward to discussing them next week. You staying, staying home this week, staying in Chi-Town? Yes, we're, uh, we got uh, um, a homecoming uh, football game for the high school here, and then they have uh, – the eighth grader has an actual football game. Even the moose 
playing a little football this weekend. Love yeah, it. so we have to uh, go be um, go do that kind of thing, and then of course Saturdays I'll be at. I like to eat a little brunch sometimes on Saturday morning, and then I'll yeah. have my butt prop, propped in front of the football, uh, college football all day. There you go. I like it. I like to see it. Well, I'll be in uh, Chapel Hill, and uh, we'll uh, bring back some, uh, I don't know. What do, I, what do you bring back from Chapel Hill? It's a lovely city. I've been there a number of times. Yeah, vinegar-based barbecue probably. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, there's not, there's not a lot of places that are prettier than Chapel Hill, especially this time of year. So. Great college campus. Top of the Hill restaurant, done that a few times. Uh, good little spot over there near campus. Anyway, folks, enjoy the games this weekend, and we'll be back with you next week for J.C. Sherbert, Mike Morgan, saying so long, and thanks for listening to another J.C. and Morgan.